Hello friends, this is Caleb Succo and you are listening to the Gospel Today podcast or you're watching it here on YouTube. Glad that you could join me today. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I want to focus on biblical foundation for our understanding of heterosexual marriage or just really you could say a biblical defense of heterosexuality. And the reason that I want to talk about that is because I have, we've been getting more questions here in Ukraine really about uh, LGBTQIA+. Uh, in fact, last Sunday I preached on this topic in our church. You can watch it on our church's YouTube, Odessa International Fellowship. But I also have taught recently a seminar here in Odessa at our Women's Center on this topic because they are teaching children in churches on sexual purity, or I say youth, they're teaching youth. And this question is coming up more and more. What about homosexuality? What about lesbianism? What about bisexual? other forms, maybe other gender identities and things like that. Um, the LGBTQ community and um, ideology is growing in Ukraine. And what I have noticed is that whenever there is some sort of ideolo ideological change within society, let's say in the United States or somewhere in the West, th those changes happen over usually a generation or two, usually two generations. First generation starts it, second generation sort of finishes it. That's what happens in the United States. Sexual revolution started in 1960s, and by the 1990s, it was already moved from just sexual freedom to homosexuality. By the 2000s, it had completely normalized homosexuality and has already begun to move into trans issues of things beyond homosexuality. And so, 60 years of sexual revolution in the United States has resulted in a myriad of different understandings and perversions of human sexuality. And what I notice is that these kinds of ideological changes which have happened over a course of usually like two generations or more in the West happen faster in Eastern Europe. Um, I'm not sure why, but I've noticed that it has happened faster. And so I, we do see these things changing in Ukraine right now. Uh, certainly, the, the movement, LGBT movement, is not as strong in Ukraine as it is in the U.S., but it is changing quickly. And so churches here want to know about it. They want to know what they can do about it. And so as I thought about it, first of all, I want to make sure that we're not, you know, our, our main issue here is not one of LGBTQIA+. Our main issue is one of understanding the gospel understanding who God is and understanding who we are and understanding how we can come into relationship with Him. Our main issue, when we come across LGBTQIA ideology, is an issue of identity. And so I really want to emphasize that as we begin. It's an issue of identity. So our goal isn't just to get a homosexual or a lesbian or whoever, whatever other perversion there is, to become a normal heterosexual. Our goal is to get them to understand the identity of God, their own identity, and then submit themselves to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that will take care of the other issues. But in order to do that, we do need to have a proper framework and understanding of what does the Bible say about human sexuality, about homosexuality, about genders? Are there other genders besides male and female? 
and all of these issues that are connected with the LGBTQ plus QIA plus movement. And so that's what I want to talk with you about today. And I think that next week I will focus more on how do we as followers of Christ interact with and how do we share the gospel with someone who has claimed an identity within LGBTQIA+. Man, I'm going to say that too many times. It's just too long. And I know it's going to keep getting longer, right? Because they keep adding identities to it. So let's call this a biblical defense of heterosexuality. Now, to begin with, you don't have to go very far in order to find out what the Bible, what God thinks about our sexuality and maybe I can say more specifically how God designed our sexuality. We find it in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and I find just that fact so amazing that God knew that this is an area where people who have turned their backs on Him would quickly take it and twist it and turn it into something that it shouldn't be. <clears throat> Excuse me. He knew that, and so he put it into Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. So let's look at these, these areas here, or these couple of verses. So first of all, the Old Testament and New Testament exclusively speak of heterosexual marriage. Even if you want to say, well, what about polygamy? Well, even polygamy is heterosexual. I do not believe the Bible condones it, and that's another topic for another day, but even polygamy is heterosexual. So when we speak of marriage in the Bible and positive examples of a marriage, especially, it is always in heterosexual marriages. And that first marriage is Adam and Eve. So Genesis 1, 27 says, And God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. Isn't that amazing that God takes the time here to specifically point out the two genders, male and female? And I don't think that it was any accident that he did that. So God describes marriage as male, or first he describes the genders, right, as male and female, and then we see the Marriage, just a little bit later in Genesis 22, or Genesis 2, verses 22 and 25, says, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no Shame. So what we see here is, is very clear that the Old Testament speaks of marriage as one man and one woman and the sexual union also here. We see the sexual union being described as one flesh and happening between one male, one female in a marriage. And it, it limits that. In fact, it says a man's got to leave his mother and father. This now is a primary relationship this is where he finds sexual union. And so God describes marriage as one flesh, the sexual union especially, 
and as man and woman. Now, the Old Testament also exclusively speaks of sex within heterosexual marriage. What I mean is, obviously there was sex outside of marriage, right? But whenever it's outside of marriage, it's even if it's heterosexual, it is not condoned, right? It is, it is condemned, in fact. And so I have a number of different, I mean, in, just in Genesis, in fact, you, you see some perversions already happening. But in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see a number of different sexual activities that are sin, sinful and not condoned. For instance, sex before marriage, Paul talks about that. That is condemned. Sex with someone else's spouse. Uh, that comes right out of the Ten Commandments, right? Exodus 20, verse 14. Also, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 7. Sex with animals is condemned. Sex with close family members, with a mother, with an aunt, with uh, a sister. Um, and then, of course, homosexuality is also condemned. And I want to look at two verses here, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. So Leviticus 18.22 says, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman that is detestable. And some people say, oh, well, that was in the Old Testament, so we don't have to follow that rule anymore. Well, we do. <laughs> we do need to follow that rule. And that is because this is one of those principles that is timeless. One of those principles that is timeless. And so, for instance, there are many principles in the law that are timeless and for, are for all peoples at all times. And that is why when, you know, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, it says, do not murder. We don't say, oh, well, that was for them today, then, and it's not for us today. One of the reasons that we know that it is for us today is because it's repeated in the New Testament. And another reason that I would say we know that it is for us today is because we see the foundations for heterosexual uh, sex as well as marriage. We see it before the law. And, and then we see after the law. So we see in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve, we see Christ talking about it. And then we also see negative uh, mentions of, of homosexuality in the New Testament. And so we can look at one of those now. And that is 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. So obviously this is speaking about homosexual behavior and saying this is wrong and someone that continues in it and has no repentance will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not. Just as other people, it says here, uh, other sexually immoral people who continue in that do not repent of it. And so, obviously, this does not mean that homosexuals cannot come to repentance and saving faith in Christ. Certainly they can. But if they continue in it, uh, just like if someone continues in sexual immorality without any apologies, without any repentance, that's a pretty good sign that that person has not put their faith in Christ. Or if someone continues in worshiping idols. It says idolatry, right? It, how can you say that someone who just blatantly worships idols has really put their faith in Christ? That would be a stretch. 
So what we find is there are no positive examples of homosexual lifestyle in the Bible. In fact, there are only negative and very negative examples. The primary negative example is Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. It says in Genesis 19.5, They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. This was the men of Sodom and Gomorrah who were wanting to have homosexual sex with these two men who were actually just angels in flesh, right? Who came to rescue Lot and his family. And this is sort of pointing to this whole story when you look at it it's just like it kind of gives you this terrible feeling because it is pointing to how sinful man can really be and we see a similar story in judges chapter 19 verse 22 which echoes this story and there it says while they were enjoying themselves some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house pounding on the door they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. And this story, actually both of these stories, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the story here in Judges, they highlight the depths to which sin can bring a society and can bring individuals. And so it's just, as we read this, we're like, oh my goodness, what is going on here? This is terrible. This is, this is not a good example. This is not something that we that people should be doing. And so homosexuality is used to point out how sinful and how depraved and how perverted man can become in his mind and his heart when he has turned his back upon God. Now, now of course, Paul also points this out in the book of Romans as he talks about society and different societies and how they have not lived up to God's standard and His law and His glory. And so Romans 1, 25-27 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts, even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And he goes on to talk about homosexuality as well. And so we see that homosexuality is always used in the scripture to highlight the sinfulness of man and to show what happens when man turns his back upon God. Now, some people ask the question, if homosexuality is really wrong, why didn't Jesus ever say anything against homosexuality? And that's a fair question because Jesus doesn't specifically condemn homosexuality in the Gospels. But there's a few things that we can say. And the first is this. Jesus clearly believed the Old Testament and supported his teachings. There are... There are dozens and dozens of times that Jesus points to the Old Testament. In fact, some scholars, have, as you look through the Gospels, found that about 10% of the Gospels are references to the Old Testament. I think there's something about around 1,800 verses in the New Testament, and of those, about 180 are references to the Old Testament. 
So all Jesus said, he always supported the authority of the Old Testament. And in fact, if we believe, and we should believe because it's true, that Jesus is God, and God inspired the Old and New Testament, then that means that Jesus was the author of those words in the Old Testament, condemning homosexuality and showing how it highlights the sinfulness of man. So Jesus supported the claims generally. I mean, I'm saying altogether, right? The claims and the authority of the Old Testament. But more specifically, Jesus supported the Old Testament's teaching on heterosexual marriage. And so we can see this in Matthew chapter 19, where he's talking with the scribes and the Pharisees there, and he says this, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So, obviously, Jesus supported the teaching of the Old Testament, on heterosexual marriage. But the reason that Jesus didn't specifically condemn homosexuality was because there was really no argument about that during his time. So the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they would have agreed with the Old Testament teaching that homosexuality was a sin, that heterosexuality was what God had ordained and was God's way. And so there wasn't any reason for Jesus to begin to argue for heterosexuality or against homosexuality when, in general, there was agreement by the leadership uh, and in society in general during the time when Jesus was on earth. So there was really no reason for Jesus to speak on these issues. Now, he did say something interesting, though, a little bit later, actually, in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 19. And he brings up, Jesus brings up the issue of uh, eunuchs, eunuchs. And so he says a little bit later, he's talking, and really he's answering the question, why, you know, why are some people not, not married, right? And he answers the question, and he says this in Matthew 19, verse 12. For there are eunuchs who are born that way. There were eunuchs who may have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who chose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, what, what do we surmise? What do we understand by this? Some have taken this and say, oh, look. Jesus is promoting a third gender. You have male, you have female, and now you have eunuchs. But let's wait just a little minute. Let's look at this carefully. What is this, this eunuch, okay? It comes from the Greek word uh, eunuchos. And if you look at it, uh, actually, this is the definition from the Greek-English uh, lexicon. It says, a male person lacking the ability to beget children, whether through castration, and he gives some examples, uh, Xenophon in um, ancient Greece, 
uh, accident, Leviticus 21.20, or congenital defect, as in what Jesus is talking about here in the second example, Matthew 19.12. Or a male palace official, whether castrated, Esther 2.3, or not, Genesis 39.1. So what's interesting here is that this term is actually um, used usually to note, denote a male who has some physical problem with his sexual organs. Maybe he was born with some deformity, which made it so that he could not have children. Or we know that there was a practice of castration, that if a king you know, would sometimes castrate men in order to make them uh, serve in his harem. I mean, it wasn't a good thing, right? It just That was just the way it was. Or some people chose to live a celibate life so that they could serve the Lord. Paul talks about this also, I think, in 1 Corinthians 7, about those who chose to live a single life in order to, to serve the Lord. Um, so, again, and this is actually from, um, I think, Answers in Genesis. They have a good a good article about that, I'll put the link in the description here, and it says the Greek term eunokos is never used to denote a person with intact sexual organs who is intersex, sex, transgender, or engages in homosexual activity. So it had nothing to do with those things. In fact, it's interesting, I think the reference was there, Genesis 39.1, is that Joseph was referred to as a eunuch. It was before he got married, but he, why? Just because he served the, the, the king, the pharaoh, right? And so sometimes this was actually just talking about someone who served the, the king or the pharaoh as an official. The eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch that Peter met in the book of Acts, he may have just been called a eunuch just because he served in a high position. He was some sort of government official. It doesn't even necessarily mean that there was something wrong with his sexual organs at the time. Let's just kind of do a little overview here, okay? And and let's see, what does the Bible say about these things? First of all, the Bible gives us the foundation for sexual identity and sexual relations in Genesis 1 and 2, where we see Adam and Eve in heterosexual marriage, right? Number two is this, the Bible always refers to homosexuality as a sin. There are no positive examples of either there's no examples of homosexual marriage, and there are no examples of positive homosexual behavior or attraction anywhere in the Bible. In fact, quite the opposite. It is always a negative thing in the Bible. Also, we can say that Jesus supported the Old Testament teaching on marriage, uh, very specifically, and he supported the Old Testament and its authority and all that it taught. And finally, about eunuchs. Eunuchs do not fall under any LGBT category. They had clear gender. They didn't engage in, engage in homosexual behaviors, and they were not same-sex attracted. So that's kind of a summary of the teaching of the Bible about homosexuality and LGBTQIA plus issues, and, and really a defense of heterosexuality and and sex within marriage, as God has designed. Now, maybe you have some questions about that. I would love to hear your questions. And I know I certainly didn't hit every passage that talks about this in the Bible, because there's just too many. 
but I tried to hit those most important ones and the ones that I have seen where questions come up uh, more, more often. Now, that being said, I would like to speak further, and I'll do this next week, about what about the gospel, okay? How do we share the gospel with someone who claims an identity within LGBTQIA+. How do we approach them? How do we talk about these things? How do we help them see their own identity, their own God-given identity, and help, how do we help them to understand who God is and what the gospel is? So I will save that for next time, but if you are not subscribed, you can do it on YouTube. Just hit the subscribe button or on um, Apple iTunes or whatever you use to download your podcasts, you can subscribe there. So hope that you can do that. As always, uh, we love to hear your questions, your comments, and we appreciate your support. You can go to superfamily.org and you can find the information about how you can support our ministry there. We appreciate that very much.